The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. This is Arun Sudaman. Our next session features our interview with Richard Edelman, coming to you from the Provoke 18 Global PR Summit, which took place in Washington, D.C. towards the end of October. It's an interesting session, as you would imagine, with the Edelman CEO, touching on industry opportunities, challenges facing agencies, and, of course, the importance of transformation. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, as always, to our sponsor, The Bullet Group, and our production partner, Marketeers. To what do you attribute Edelman's growth and rise over the past 15 years relative to your rivals? Well, um, then this is speaking to the uh, people in the audience, especially Peter Finn, who, like me, had a family business and was given something and then had to make it even better than our dad. Um, We stayed independent. That's it. And the truth of the matter is in 2001 and 2008 and 9, the um, holding company owned firms slashed their staffs and we slashed our profits, <laughs> meaning we didn't make any money. And um, we were able to do that because we didn't have any debt and um, we had family shareholders and we don't pay dividends. Don't talk to my siblings about that, but <laughs> we just don't. And um, so. We sucked it up and we were ready when um, the recovery came and people said, you're a different kind of place. You know, we're very loyal to you and we're going to break our butts for you because you kept us here and did that. Mm-hmm. And okay. we also, though, were able to invest in digital and able to invest in uh, non-U.S. operations because every dollar we made in the U.S. we invested overseas pretty well. And we also bought a tech firm, as you may remember, A&R in the Valley. So, yeah. Okay. And we'll talk a little bit about your acquisition strategy um, uh, a little later on. I'm sure there'll be many people in the audience interested in, uh, in what you might be looking to buy uh, in, in the future. Um, so recent years have seen a slightly different picture emerge. We have seen growth uh, as tracked by our global rankings, of course. We've seen growth um, slow down at the bigger end of the spectrum. Um, and your own firm has not been... You know, immune to that, it's it's been um, single digit, low single digit growth over the past couple of years. Is this the new normal for the for the big agencies? So, we have two or three issues. One is at size you get conflicts. Two, um, you have a new set of competitors. Yes, we're competing with Weber and Finn Partners and etc. But we're now competing with BBDO and Vernet and Digitas and you know, so because we're actually directly in the business of uh, creative, so and we're directly in the business of digital. So I don't I don't make excuses. You know, you play the game, but we're in uh, the Premier League now, and we have to play like that. We can't just you know say, oh, we have just a great idea. No, you have to prove that it's going to work, and you actually have to have research that indicates that it's the right idea, and you have to have all sorts of forms of execution. So. We're still growing into our new uh, form. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're like a sophomore in college in our um, ability to completely 
execute. Mm -hmm. And it's not a matter of global or not, it's a matter of all these dimensions that we're now competing in. So we hear a lot about this era more than ever provides the best opportunity for public relations firms, given the kind of central importance of earned media. And yet at the same time, we also see this slowdown of growth at the big firms. And you attribute that to the increased competition you're facing from, from agencies outside what you'd call the traditional PR discipline. So I wouldn't say that it's the golden era because earned media is more important than ever. I, I would reclassify it as the kinds of issues that have to be dealt with by companies um, are much more suited to us than the ad agencies. So for instance, um, we released a study last week called Earn Brand. If you haven't seen it, look at it. But the key point in it is two-thirds of consumers expect you uh, as a brand to take a, a stand. And if you don't, we're not going to buy you. So who's better to express a brand stand, us or an ad agency? They have, not to be mean about it, but good-looking girl, good-looking guy, car, drive away in the California hills, simple. No, our ideas are best expressed through um, working with clients like REI to say, close your store on the day after Thanksgiving, give the people the day off, talk about how you're a firm that cares about its people, and thereby get those kind of customers who would be in sync with that. That's the kind of thinking that we do. Totally different from simple. And with that in mind, what would you say are the specific sources of growth for your agency that you're looking to harness over the next five to 10 years? I mean, you made some big bets over the last 15 years that paid off, and, and in some mm. cases paid off quite spectacularly. Yep. How do you see the next decade? So we're going to double it down in digital, which is mm, between 15 and 20% of our business. Um, we're going to exploit and take full advantage of our investment in creative talent, because we have 600 people who are creatives, one form or another. We're going to work in developing markets to try to take companies that are growing up in China, India, et cetera, and going outwards to the world because we can serve them well. Um, and we're going to try to do mid-sized clients and do everything for them. So we don't expect to do that for Starbucks or Unilever. We'll be the PR firm, fine. Um, maybe we can get into analogous areas. But you know, for a mid-sized client, we can do everything from idea to experiential to paid, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, digital, everything. And how does that kind of fit in with this sort of notion that has, you know, been driving, I think, this, this transformation, or at least this attempt to transformation in the industry um, that PR firms can, can try and tap into these biggest CMO budgets? Well, it um, depends. If you're part of a holding company like Publicis, it's pretty tough. Um, not to be in any way critical of Publicis, but you know, one publicist submerges your PR brand. You know, so I love that. Keep doing it. <laughs> I'm sure all of you do too. Um, but, and they'll have some success. They'll, they'll sell to clients who say, well, we'll buy a solution. But we have to explain, each of us in this room, that um, there's a difference between PR that is subsumed in an organization and PR that leads. And if we lead, we're going to win more than our fair share. Um, because again, the problems that are manifest. So how is one publicist going to deal with uh, the fact that um, two thirds of people now believe that uh, CEOs should speak up 
and not wait for government. That's not what an ad agency-led creative team is going to do. They're going to have a simple creative, and PR is going to support that. We're the ones who are going to get companies to step up on issues that matter. So um, I like our chances, but not as part of holding companies that believe in consolidating brands and consolidating um, under an advertising umbrella. When you say you, you like your chances, are you referring to that ability to go after those bigger marketing budgets? There are CCO budgets. There are CMO budgets. There are budgets. Mm -hmm. I mean, we should go after both. And more and more, you're going to see this. They're going to be together. Mm -hmm. Because the problems that need to be solved are reputation and brand. They are not simple. They are complicated. And we should excel in the complicated, in the complex. And not to try and make it simple, because it isn't simple. Um, and there are judgment calls you're going to have to make that are political. And this is not an American-only phenomenon. God knows. If you're in India and the prime minister has a certain populist view about you know, made in India and all this, this makes it harder for brands that come from overseas. So how are you global and local at the same time? We should be best expressing that kind of view. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to get to that point, you, as you mentioned, you've hired 600 creatives and planners. Um, why? Because we have to compete with BBDO, and um, we have to compete with Digitas, and we have to have the best ideas. And these are not people who are coming up with advertising creative, Arun. Mm -hmm. They are coming up with creative. That's a key point. And it's earned at the core, social by design. That's the kind of creative it should be. And so how are you going to stop the opioid epidemic if you have a client? You know, bring creatives in. It doesn't mean PR people can't still have ideas. They should. But to have creatives who think visually, who think short form, who think um, in a way that, uh, frankly, marketing execs will buy, we need to win. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in hiring that number of creatives and planners, it, it, it appears like quite a big transformation of talent um, because you go from perhaps what, what some would describe as a, as a more classic or traditional PR agency model to one that's focusing on these kind of specialist skills. Is it easy, do you think, to underestimate the cultural aspect of that challenge? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a simplistic way, there are three tribes, PR, digital, and creative. And to get the three to work together, you know, so what I've expressed at Edelman is we have a tree. And the trunk of the tree is PR, and we have branches. It is not Edelman Digital and Creative over here, no. One tree, multiple branches. Big, strong tree withstands wind much better than lots of little trees, which get knocked over. Work in progress. Mm -hmm. um, every day, work in progress. Progress moves like this, not in a burst of brilliance. but. Uh, yeah, you all will do this, and it will happen. The and you have to let them wear whatever they want to wear. <laughs> the most, Very most important. important lesson. If you make them dress like this, I'm wearing a blue shirt. This is huge for me, but just saying. We're living on the edge up here. Uh, totally. Um, so 
at the same time as you've, you've really looked to transform the talent at Edelman, growth has slowed. Do you see the two things as linked? Do you think that perhaps there is some sort of necessary internal disruption required for that transformation? And is that a cost that agencies, let's say the agencies in this room, is that a cost that they should, is that a cost they should be aware of and willing to bear? Well, I think, look, you, you get to make a choice because some of you I've known for years, Phil Greeno, I've known Peter um, for years. I mean, you make a choice with your agencies and you can do vertical or you can do horizontal. What I mean by this is there's plenty of room for, for Phil to stay in the PR space and make a smaller adjustment. You don't have to be radical and say, I have to hire you know, so many creatives. For Peter, I think you get to a point where you say, I have to hire creatives because I want to get you know, broader budgets. So that's, that's a horizontal play. Um, so is it, a is it a necessity to slow down your growth in order to accommodate the change? No. Um, it's just the reality of who you're going to be competing with. And if you're up against the cold steel of Arsenal in the football analogy, you got to be bringing your best game because they're not necessarily going to say, oh, a CMO, I hired Edelman to do the campaign. They, well, they might go, really? They're a PR firm. No, they're doing something new, communications, marketing. So they will necessarily hire us if it's a crisis. I get that. But the rest of it, we have to earn. And we're earning it by our book of business. We didn't say much about this for four years. We didn't come out with our big line of act with certainty for four years mm -hmm. until we had enough cases like HP or REI that, that we could say, oh, well, we're doing this. Mm. Um, another issue we see uh, at agencies, yours included, when they're trying to transform, um, and I suspect you, you have a, a, a better insight into this than, than many, um, is that the people, particularly the senior people, that got them, from, that got them to point A may not get them to point B. Um, and is that something all agencies you feel should be aware of as they're trying to, to, to change and, and, and get to grips um, with the changes in the market? Because you know, some of the key architects of Edelman's rise, for example, are no longer at the agency. Yeah. So look, the reality of, of change is that we've hired some people from non-traditional PR backgrounds, um, people from ad agency backgrounds and others. Um, but we are moving them to a place between. And the culture of our firm is still all about what Dan Edelman's founding principles were. Every person is an account executive. Client service first. It's about we, not me. All these things are straightforward. And it's, do you work on clients? If you don't work on clients, don't come to Edelman. Um, and do you have big ideas? It is an ideas-based culture. So that is consistent with some of the, the best people who come out of the uh, ad business or digital business. And that's what we are doing. Um, we're, we have to keep evolving. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a nation state. If you, if you stay with just the talent that you had from the first wave of immigration, you may not actually get to where you need to be. And it's why our policy in this country is a little warped, not to make over statements because certain residents down the road here wouldn't like it, but um, we have to be like a nation. We have to keep moving. We have to keep growing. We have to take chances. And 
bring in different kind of cultures and different ideas. And we also have to stop being so Western dominated. You know, we have to have best creative come from India or best creative come from China, and, and it is. But we have to get our teams in the West to say, that's a really great idea, it didn't come from London. So what? So open borders, Edelman. Well, I mean, our creative people are, some of the best work does come from developing markets because it's, it's liberated work somehow. And it's not, oh, that's a PR idea. No. And some of the biggest problems are in the developing markets, meaning literacy or access to healthcare or things like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before, I'm going to open up to questions pretty soon because I'm, I'm sure we'll have a few. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to get your views on um, some of the changes we're seeing in the market, particularly in terms of the holding groups. Um, so we've seen a lot of consolidation mm. um, amongst uh, publicly held agencies and indeed some, some publicly held PR agencies. Um, why do you think that's happening and, and, and what impact do you think that has on, um, on your own firm and indeed on independence in general? So. Um I'll comment on a couple. I think the BCW merger is smart because it gives a balance and offer, gives scale, um, and it's also given us some very good people. Um, and um, the CNC and Kext is smart because it gives them a global platform. Um, so scale matters. Um, and so that, that's principle one. Principle two is um, growth matters. And you have to aim to um, keep your best young talent. And the only way to do that is to grow and look at areas in which you're underrepresented and go for them aggressively. And well, I don't agree with what Publicis has done. I don't agree with what Ogilvy has done. To be frank, I'm thrilled, frankly speaking also, because it diminishes what we do. And the people who are the best at those places look around and say, maybe I want to be with that uh, group of buccaneers over there who think that PR is the lead discipline. And so bring it. Mm -hmm. That was a free shot. I mean, it's a PR conference. So. Indeed. <laughs> Tell Arthur Sadoon I said so. Yeah. Um, does scale, I, I don't want to ask does scale matter, but does it, has it ever mattered less? Perhaps because we're seeing so much growth from the midsize, and indeed many of the rooms and uh, many of the agencies in this room that symbolise the, the the outperformance we see at that kind of level in the market. Um, what is the the value and selling point of a, of a of a big global network? Well, I think the problems that are being confronted by um, the corporates, both on brand side and reputation, are deeply complex. You need a person as expert as Gary Greats is in employee engagement. You need a person who's expert as crisis in crisis management. You need a person who knows India. You need a person who's able to deal with trade issues. You need, you need people who really understand lots of lines of business and then how they come together and what's the priorities. And so, again, I think scale matters more than ever. I think it's almost like a barbell effect, meaning at, at the smaller size, you can have very strong growth because you get with growth companies, you don't have conflicts. But at the larger size, you really do have to have depth and breadth um, and multi-market and multi-market with expertise, not marquee market with you know, two people in a chair. Because the problems are big and they're fast. 
So acquisitions have helped, Edelman. You've, you've made several um, over the last 15 years, um, over the last 20 years indeed, some with more success than others, right? Yep. Um, what are the lessons you've learned? Try to retain the entrepreneur, but if that person really is centrifugal, have a number two person who can step in. Because some entrepreneurs don't want to continue to be, Peter can say the same thing. They don't want to really be there anymore, unless they're on their own. I mean, I'm, you've done a good job of keeping them. Um, second, uh, I would say have the acquisition, if you're in a market already and, the, and you acquire, to have the acquisition take over that market. Don't have it subsumed into the Edelman or Finn office there, because the entrepreneur is used to being in charge. Um, third, just in terms of finances, I, I, you pay 50% up front, no more, because the person has to want to still get up at 6 a.m. and make that flight. You know, <laughs> it's tempting to not. But, I mean, it's never been tempting to me not to, because I have my father on my shoulder and so do you. But, it, it, you know, you just, it, some people don't. <laughs> um, and fourth, don't make it about the money. It also, it's not just about the money, it's about the prestige, it's about the leeway, it's about the kind of clients you work on, it's about the work. Ultimately, all of us are not here to get rich. We're here to get, you know, satisfaction. It's really not ultimately. If we were, we would be in Wall Street. This is not a profession really to maximize your income. But you do maximize your impact, and that's a different deal. Mm. And that actually, my last question before I open to the floor. I mean, you've been at the helm now for... 20 years. 20 years. Well, 21. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you don't seem in a hurry to slow down. Nope. Um, although I, I think that's probably an observation I'd make every time I've, I've, I've met you. Um, how, what is it that keeps you motivated and um, operating at this level of energy? Genetics? I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, the business climate, the opportunity, the competitive pressure from ad agencies, digital firms, it, again, I do feel we're playing in the Premier League. And what we do matters actually now more because of populism and trust issues and digital and the risk come opportunity. I love that we're head on against the ad agencies. It was like, it was sort of fantasy and now it's a reality. <laughs> so if that sort of stuff can happen, it's totally rejuvenating. I feel like Benjamin Button or something. <laughs> That's a great one. Okay, cool. Um, questions, please. I will answer, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Or you actually have to do that. You're in charge. We've got one there, I think. Tried. Richard, um, Andreas Verschappelt. I have a question. We have a mid-sized agency, and I just wondered, you mentioned that it's uh, a core, you get the specialist into the agency. Um, and you mentioned as well, it's uh, very important to have the creatives and the digital, digital guys. But I wonder, how do you um, like um, recruit those guys and integrate them into an agency that is dominated usually by um, executives that are creatives than themselves, but they have a complete different culture in the PR? How do you recruit them? How do you integrate them? Okay, so point one. You're going to start with a couple, and then if you just have them sit as two people, they'll be very lonely. So my observation is pair them with 
brand marketing, or one of your core businesses. And then when you get to enough scale, have them be standalone, because it's a big mistake to just have them be lonely. Then they'll leave. It's like university, you have to have some buddies. And then, then have them get to scale. Uh, and then maybe have them report direct to you in the beginning so they feel power. If you have them down in the organization, it's a problem. I've lived this, believe me, meaning I've done it wrong <laughs> sometimes. Uh, so make them feel as if they're important and have a community of them, maybe in B2B, B2C. So you, you have them in specialty, but then you have them linked up. You understand me? So in other words, within group, but together. And, and you have to decide when it's enough that they just move to being standalone. It's not a perfect answer, but we can talk later. Yes. Do we have a question over here? Did we have one? You said earned media is, has never been more important, but that you're investing heavily in digital. Mm -hmm. I want to know how you're investing in earned, and if so, in talent, and then what are you looking for in that talent? Because I think a lot of us in doing earned and media relations are really having a hard time finding really strong writers, people who can find a lead and a headline and a way to hook onto earned media stories. So, look, the reality is we have 45% as many reporters in daily newsrooms as we did in 2006. It's winnowed by 50 plus percent. And so, if it's going to be writers, I'm not sure you need them as much, honestly, unless you're writing op-eds. I mean, I'd rather have short form, visual, um, definitely for television, people who have some sense of, of uh, background and backdrop and like this. Um, people who still have connections um, and personal relationships matter deeply. Um, because stories are harder to place because it's, it's the crowd out factor of Trump. And so, but earned media chops are something that you should hugely prioritize for your hiring and, and, and retention even more because they get poached. Yes, Richard, uh, Giles Fraser. So um, you've invested a lot in some great assets, creatives and digital. Uh, I don't, this, this may not be a leading question, but do you think your PR people are strong enough in terms of selling these integrated assets in competition with the ad agencies, or is there more that could be done to train these people up so they can sell with more noughts on the end? Are you reading my board presentation for Wednesday? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the truth is we're all in, in evolution. I mean, on the way over here, I was talking to my research people and saying, would you please give me two or three things to sell? I, I, I'm your chief salesperson. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I'm the best person to sell research. I'm okay at selling digital. So help me. So I think it's a continuing education program. And for us, we've identified client leads on our top 100 clients, and they have to be the most well-educated across all our lines of business. So it's one of the most important things we have to do. And give them cases to, th to, to take forward. They don't have to be expert themselves. They just have to have enough to say, try this, and know that... Uh, no one to bring in a specialist, let's put it this way, as opposed to going like this with a client. Classic problem. Watch, watch for that. I'm sure you do. You look like a smart owner. Mm -hmm. Julian? Julian? Julian Boulding from the Network One. Um, 
Richard, take your point about scale and the importance of scale and having really quality and depth resources in different places and different skills. My question is, do you still need to own them like you did before? You know, the old cliches there, Airbnb doesn't own hotels, Uber doesn't own cars, Hollywood doesn't own studios, and uh, Apple doesn't own factories. Um, do you see that as a trend that you may do more without ownership, without the imperative that a WPP or an Omnicom has to show growth to a stock market? Well, fortunately, we don't um, about Omnicom and WPG, but you make an important point. I mean, I was having a drink with one of my friends, and he said, look at uh, what the brewers are doing. All their growth is coming from craft breweries. I thought for a minute that he was crazy and then that he had had too much beer. And then I realized that he was actually making an important point, which is, you know, it's Lagunitas and it's, you know, Goose Island. And so what does that mean for a service business? Maybe it means a lot of smaller. So that's a possibility. I think we're quite committed in our strategy, but as a holding company of, you know, because Edelman and Zeno, maybe that's not a crazy idea. I acknowledge your point. I, I don't want to accept it quite yet, but I'm acknowledging it. <laughs> if I talk to myself long enough, you're probably right. <laughs> but I haven't done that yet. So going back to your point about the, the being everything to the midsize yeah. brands, they don't have the same budgets as the big brands. So but they're all ours. But, they're all, but how do you price to that point? Let's say they have $5 million in marketing, and a big company would have $100 million in marketing. But the $100 million only has 5% allocated to PR, and they probably have to have two agencies. My math is if we can get the one client for $5 million, I'd rather have that than have half of $5 million that's in PR only. Or I'd rather have both, but you, know, you get the idea. That, that's my math. If you can do experiential and digital and creative and PR, you're in good shape. And they don't have the money for an ad agency of, of, of quality. So if we can be better than the local ad agencies, that's a big idea. Bruce. Thank you. Hello there. Hello. I know you. Thank you for your time. Sure. You've uh, done a lot of research into trust. Mm. Could you give an example or two of some organizations that you think are really setting the, the standard of trust building. No clients. And, and, and particularly, I'm interested in how to build trust with people in Britain who may have voted to leave the EU, or people in America who may have voted for President Trump. How do you build trust with those folks? So I'll stay on Britain, um, so for safety. The, <laughs> since I'm not a Brit. Um, so. I think Unilever, by having a sustainability narrative, has done that um, and continues to push now beyond supply chain into changing consumer behavior. Um, I think also um, JP Morgan has in the United States um, by committing to cities such as Detroit and now Philadelphia for urban renewal and um, committing of its own people's time, not simply money. Um, so I think those are two exemplars. Look, the key change for trust is uh, employees. The pyramid of authority is flipped on its head. Look what uh, happened with the Google employees on the Pentagon contract. 
We're not doing it. That's a big change. Change at Uber and management, partly because of the female engineer who spoke up and said this is not a culture that's okay. So uh, these, are, these are important uh, shifts in the terrain. And if I had to predict trust in the United States will plummet again this year. Um, but we'll see. We're coming into the field January. Um, Ray, at the back there. Ray Eglinton with Four Communications. Um, you used a couple of football analogies in oh. your, um, I'm trying. your intro there. And in a world where you talk about scale in, in our industry, there's a lot of man cities and arsenals that have a lot, you know, have that scale already. Is there still the, the opportunity for a Leicester City to come in, one of us to make that sudden spurt of growth? And what, what should we be doing to, uh, to make that happen? I mean, look at W2O. Look at Zeno. I mean, Zeno seven or eight years ago was 10 million, now it's 70. Finn Partners is now 80. More? Moss? Good for you. Was nothing eight years ago. So good. I mean, so it shows that it's doable. And what should you be doing? Well, one, acquire smartly. Two, um, you better have a very aggressive creative. Um, ambitious, smart, um, so that people see your work. And work your ass off. What else do you want me to say? <laughs> that's, a, that's a solution. Um, we still have time, I think. Hi there. You spoke about um, the importance of creative digital. Mm. What about research in Huge. terms of insights and informing the creative? It's the only way to fly. Um, if you actually have people who've been in planning or people who um, are societal experts, it's what leads to the uh, best kind of um, creative output. I'm so proud of what we've done with uh, HP on the uh, American Family Campaign about diversity and what people presume is a family versus what is really a family in America. And for the HP printers, it was a big lever kind of campaign. And also, by the way, great for their employees and, and corporate reputation. So absolutely do that. All right, five seconds. You've got a plane. We're on time. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group. Putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Today.